0: This is Toastcaster, podcast for Toastmasters. Your host, Greg Gazin. Episode 91 Enlightened Superachievers and Timeless Secrets of Influential Leaders. With our guest, Corey Poirier. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest edition of Toastcaster, podcast for Toastmasters. We have a special guest here today. His name is Corey Poirier. He's a multi-time TEDx speaker, having spoken at Canmore and UNB. He's also a sought-after corporate and association speaker. Corey is also the host of the top-rated Conversations with Passion radio show, founder of the speaking program, and he's been featured in multiple television specials. He's also a columnist with Entrepreneur and Forbes, and has been featured on CBS, CTV, NBC, ABC, and is a Forbes Coaches Council member and one of the few leaders featured twice on the popular Entrepreneur on Fire show. Corey has also interviewed over 4,000 of the world's top leaders and enlightened superachievers. Corey has also spoken with the likes of Robin Sharma, Jack Canfield, Zig Ziglar, John Gray, John Maxwell, Stephen M. R. Covey, Arlene Dickinson, and many, many more. Corey is from Prince Edward Island, Canada, but is speaking to us this morning from Calgary, Alberta. Corey Poirier, welcome to the show.
1: Oh, thank you so much, Greg. I am super stoked to be here.
0: Just having a look at some of the things that you've done, I mean, it sounds like you yourself are an enlightened super achiever.
1: I, you know, it's it's interesting. I guess I like to think that based on my definition that I would sort of fall into the same category. The the follow-up to that is that my definition of what I would call an enlightened super achiever, where sort of that name came from and what it means to me, it essentially Whenever I was in sales back in the day, we used to talk about high achievers and people saw them as those who achieved at the highest level, but sometimes they stepped over other people to get there and they stepped on other people and they, they took shortcuts at the cost of others. Originally, when I started out as a speaker and started with that signature talk, I started saying high achievers. And I noticed that people's faces kind of had this little twitch or frown. And so I said, there's something there. I got to investigate that. And what I realized is they envisioned a high achiever as somebody who did anything at all costs, et cetera, et cetera. And so I ultimately evolved it to become enlightened superachievers. And what that meant to me, at least, was these are the people that are enlightened, so they get it. And they are the ones that typically will not only get to the top, but they'll actually pull other people up with them they'll push other people ahead of them. So essentially, they're the ones that are giving back and paying it forward and trying to help other people become influencers or achievers at the same time. Uh, so, you know, Zig Ziglar, who for years really, you know, his, his actually his motto was see you at the top. And the idea was, how can I help you get to the top? You know, somebody like a Jack Canfield, who his, his career has basically been about highlighting other people. If, if you think chicken soup for the soul, all those stories highlighted others and Jack got highlighted sort of just in the, I guess we'll say supplementally or, or by proxy, just essentially by default. That's a, an enlightened super achiever to me. Hopefully I am in that same category. You know, I'm helping other people along the way and get to the top and not just worried about myself.
0: Well, you're talking about enlightened superachievers. How can you identify them? What are two or three things perhaps that you can say, hey, you know what? These people are enlightened superachievers.
1: Well, I feel the, the first one is, is sort of one I mentioned is if you notice that they're constantly always shining a light on other people. If you think of social media, maybe they're always sharing stuff by other people. If you, let's say if they have, a, just as an example, they have a show like this. They're highlighting other people's names and sharing their work. They're maybe, if they're a speaker, they're constantly saying, you know, you need to check it so-and-so, or here's a quote by so-and-so, or this is a great book by so-and-so. Uh, so they're, they're constantly trying to make it about other people, not just themselves. And I guess the opposite of that is true. So if you notice that, if they're constantly always saying, check out my new book, bye, 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 this is a quote I think I came up with. And, and you know, then they say that all the time or they just share quotes and never give credit. And the name's always taken off. So they sort of imply it's theirs, you know, obviously every now and then you don't know who a quote is. And you might put that or you might say, I think this is my own once. But if you're doing that every day or just sharing a quote without credit, that's kind of the opposite. So that would be the telltale to me that they're not an enlightened superachiever. And then I guess the other side is the you know, you see that they're constantly striving to become a better version of themselves. So they're constantly always trying to grow. To me, that's another sort of telltale. Uh, So if you see that they're maybe online, they're saying I attended so-and-so seminar and I learned this from it, or I, and I'm talking somebody even maybe that could be the highest of influencers and they're still attending attending other seminars. Or maybe you see them at seminars taking notes, even though you know they're out speaking to thousands of people every year themselves. To me, Greg, it's all centered around what do they do? You know, what are they actually doing rather than what they say they're doing? And like I said, the biggest thing is, are they trying to become a better version of themselves by helping others get to the top and, you know, also getting themselves to the top?
0: Can you pick out perhaps maybe one or two that you could share? Maybe something about maybe Robin Sharma or Jack Canfield or any of the other 3,998 plus people you spoke to?
1: Yeah, for sure. Jack Canfield is a prime example of, of what I just mentioned about the always trying to learn. So Jack was on the show and he talked a little bit about the story. Another guest came on who happened to be at the seminar Jack was talking about and heard. The, he. I guess he listened to the conversation before my interview with him as other person. And he said, oh, I was actually there but uh, and saw this. But basically, Jack was at a Tony Robbins seminar. I think it's 69 because it was just the year I interviewed him and he was at the the back of the room. This person described it this way. He was at the back of the room and he was filling a notepad, notepad full of uh, notes that he was taking, even though, as we all know, I mean, Jack and Tony are friends. He could go to the back and just ask Tony the question, but he still believed in the importance of being out there and taking those notes. And there was a 19 year old beside him looking over at him, taking all the notes and shaking his head, almost like, what are you wasting your time for? And the person said it was such a visual of this, 69-year-old who's literally impacting millions of people a year is still learning, still growing, still developing. And the person beside him at 19 who probably needs a board and jack ever will at this stage is shaking his head saying, ah, oh, you're a fool. To me, that's the prime example of the difference. Like a super enlightened superachiever is the person that still says, I can always grow, learn, and develop. Uh, so that, that would be one. Um, and then another example of somebody we interviewed who does this brilliantly is Bob Berg. Who uh, wrote the Go Giver, and a bunch of other books related to go giving? And the idea is to uh, to give, to always be a giver. So instead of being instead of being a go getter, you know, which would be like a, a busy trying to get stuff done and achieve stuff, his premise and his book is a business fable about being a go getter. I mean, a go giver rather. Uh, so how can you have that same sort of hustle and grind for helping other people? And so the example with Bob is if you send a message, and you can test this, by the way, if you're listening, if you, uh, Bob said, let's say, put the quote up of his and you share it, he'll go out of his way, either a private message or more likely on Twitter publicly, and thank you publicly for sharing that. So every time, pretty much, I, I mean, every time, not just myself, I've watched it. Anybody basically writes something about him or shares something or shares one of his quotes, he goes out of his way to thank them publicly on Twitter. And then he also he has a podcast and the books and he constantly is sharing insight from other speakers. To me, those are two prime examples. One that's taking the notes like crazy that I mentioned, the the constant development and becoming the better version of yourself. And the other example is Bob trying to find a way to highlight others and make it about them rather than themselves.
0: I was just thinking two things. One, I've seen that happen or I've experienced that on Twitter and I can't recall who it was. And I thought first thing I thought to myself is where do they find the time if they're always so busy on the road? And the other thing I was just thinking about is someone at 19 just hasn't had enough time to have the experience to have learned things that perhaps people like Jack Canfield probably have forgotten many years ago.
1: Absolutely. I, I would agree with that. A thousand and two percent. Under Yeah, it's for sure. Uh, I, I've often wondered the same thing at the time. I'm like, how does, for example, Bob Berg, I mean, I know how busy he is. How does he ever get the time? But, it goes back to the point of, you know, if there's a will, there's a way. He somehow seems to find the time at a time when most of us say there's not enough hours in the day.
0: <laughs> and, of course, I'm very grateful for you taking the time this morning, bright and early on a very cold winter day, to to speak with me. Now, Corey, you've had the opportunity of meeting with some of the greatest minds out there, great influencers, interesting people, and also, as a Toastmaster, it's kind of interesting as well. You've also been successful, really, on both sides of the mic, how did you get to where you are today?
1: So here's the interesting part, Greg. You know, we always hear this idea of someone born with natural talent or the idea of the overnight success. And so in studying thousands upon thousands of essentially some of the world's let's call them most talented high achievers, I have discovered another thing that people either ignore or don't know about, which I call it the non-talent factor. And really, it's, it's not this big epiphany moment, but really the non-talent factor to me is they're putting in the hours behind the scenes before you ever see them put in an hour. And so when you finally see them, if they've been at the game, whatever the game is for 10 years, you think they're just, they were naturally born that way. So the first thing is I would add it and say is that I've been putting in the hours. I've been hustling, grinding it out, putting in the hours behind the scenes, you know, the 10,000 hour rule. I'm sure I put that into interviewing and into speaking and even close to putting that into standard comedy, even though it was just a passion on the side really the hours behind the scenes is, is what happened i mean there are a lot of happy accidents but also a lot of misfires and missteps along the way that people just didn't see so if they see me today on the stage they say wow i wish i was that comfortable on the stage or natural on the stage but it, there's nothing natural about it it was a ton of work it's just like when people say oh you're so lucky to meet so-and-so you know i don't mean it in a crude or a rude way but the truth is people don't realize there's a lot less luck and a lot more hustle involved than people realize. You know, David Suzuki as a, an example, doing an interview with him took 18 months before the, from the first day I reached out to the day we sat down for an interview it took 18 months. So I don't know if you could say there's a lot of luck there. I think there's a lot of persistence there. The shorter answer, Greg, is that I put in the time, I put in the hustle, and the reason I believe, you know, with the non-talent factor, why I believe it's significant is I boldly said, I just said it last week in a talk that I believe there's Sydney Crosby's and Wayne Gretzky's out there that we'll never know existed because they haven't put in the time and the hustle yet, you know, we look at Sydney and Wayne and say they were just born with this natural talent. And of course they have a specific talent, you know, other people put in similar hours and not get to the same place, but Wayne, I mean, we all know the story of Walter having him out in the ice hockey rink, playing at 6am in the morning, doing drills. But a buddy of mine, Doug Shepard, who's an elite skating coach with Andrews Hockey Growth, they trained Sidney Crosby in the early years. And he told me about Sidney going in there, parents dropping him off before everybody got there, having a key, going in and unlocking and doing his drills around the rink before everybody else started. And it made me think of the, I forget which basketball player it is, but one of the basketball players over the years, it was kind of a mythic thing that he used to go and shoot a thousand. He had to sink it a thousand times, a thousand shots before the other guys got there, you know, before he actually started the actual training for the day. Again, that's a long answer to say, Greg, I really, I've been putting in the grind. And so now people are seeing maybe some of the results of that. But that's really a matter of just keeping on plugging away at it. But I think that's good news because it tells people that if you're willing to become sort of a pit bull and not give up on what you're doing, anything's possible. It truly is. And, and you don't have to be born with a certain talent because my first time on radio being interviewed, I was covered in sweat. My first time doing stand-up comedy, I told the jokes without the mic turned on. And then I was covered in sweat. My first time speaking, I almost passed out. Don't remember a word of what I said, and I was covered in
0: sweat. So sweat's not an acronym for anything. It actually it actually means sweat. It
1: actually means sweat, and and I battled through that for a long time.
0: Oh, that's super. You and I met at a conference a couple of years ago, and I, I still remember how everything that you had said had had resonated. This enlightened super achiever just stuck with me. Now I know recently you were in Edmonton, and unfortunately we did not get a chance to connect, even though we were both at the same location you gave a presentation called Timeless Secrets of Influential Leaders. Now, we live in a life of constant change, but yet you're also saying that some of the secrets that you have are timeless?
1: Yes. Yeah, it's funny that last week I delivered that presentation, I think, four times in Edmonton at different events. It's become sort of a signature talk for me because of the fact that I put in this effort of interviewing people to learn what they do differently, uh, much like Napoleon Hill did in the 1930s. So I've been compared, I guess, just because I'm basically following a similar path, almost to Napoleon Hill as a modern-day version, because I've been obsessed by interviewing people and learning what they do differently, which is essentially what he did with the book Think and Grow Rich. I bring him up, and also I could even add in Dale Carnegie and How to Win Friends and Influence People, that great book, because the interesting part, Greg, when I talk about timeless, often it's hard to prove what you're sharing, but the proof of that is that book was written in 1936. A lot of my findings, not all of them, but a lot of my findings, are very mirror or carbon copy to what Napoleon Hill found in almost a hundred years ago. At this point, I think it's fair to say these are timeless because Napoleon Hill talked about how at that time, you know, hundreds of years ago, people were practicing them. So yeah, absolutely. They're timeless in that way. And I, I'll call them fundamental principles in the extent that they work during recessions, they work during any time they work during any society. And at the same time, I've also discovered modern ones that Napoleon Hill simply couldn't have discovered because the time was different. So, you know, the example with that one would be relation to technology. So I've discovered that the the top thought leaders today, the top influencers, they have this innate ability to go all in with the person they're in front of at the time. At a time when, you know, if we talk about Edmonton, at a time when people are walking down Jasper Ave, at some point today, we're walking into a garbage can because they haven't looked up from their phone for an hour. (laughs) I guess that's a very, I'm going to say it's a secret because most people are doing it. It's not necessarily a secret because people don't know it. It's a secret because people are not practicing it. And And what I'm getting at with that secret is the ability to go all in with one thing at a time. So we could call it single tasking, but they have the ability to avoid the distraction and say, I'm with my phone now. So I'm not gonna to try to talk to people. And once I'm done with my phone, I'm with the person, I'm not gonna to try to grab my phone and text or whatever it might be. That's an example of something Napoleon Hill probably wouldn't have been looking for because the times were different. You know, We didn't have the type of distractions we do today. I mean, there will always be distractions, but they weren't the same extent and probably not the same intensity level. So, yeah, so the the fundamental and timeless secrets, again, I believe that they are timeless because they've been working for hundreds and hundreds. Well, obviously way more than that, but let's just go hundreds and hundreds of years that we know for sure. And then, like I said, there's ones that are modern, like the ability to focus and go all in. And I would say that in a hundred years time, I mean, we don't know where things are going to be, but there's a good chance that that'll still be an important trait. You know, and, and actually probably even more important because the distractions aren't slowing down. I heard a study recently that all the information online, this is through CBC, they said all the information online is doubling now every 12 months. So if you can't keep un, you know, undistracted and keep up now and keep focused now, not in, in say, five years is going to be harder. In 100 years, it's going to be almost impossible. But if you're the person that can still do that, that's obviously going to give you an, a very elite advantage that most people won't have.
0: There's one by Richard Branson that I think you like as one of your favorites.
1: Yeah, so I, yeah, I know what you're talking about. It's when I first heard that quote by Richard Branson, it actually disappointed me because the quote, the way I heard it originally was, say yes to everything and then figure out how to do it all later. That's how I grew up. I grew up in small meat and potatoes, PEI, you know, top say yes to everybody. Don't never say no. It's rude to say no. And then I go out into the quote unquote real world, even in PEI, and realize the highest of achievers are saying no to almost everything that isn't going to move the needle for them isn't going to bring them to their purpose, so they can say yes to the few things that will. It was in direct contrast to what Richard Branson's quote originally was presented to me as. So I wanted to do some research because it really confused me. I have a guy that's running 200 and some companies, and clearly he's not saying yes to everything <laughs> because he would never be able to run more than two companies. When I finally got to the bottom of the quote, I, I found, and again, as we know, these quotes, they've been changed so much. Who knows what the original is? But I eventually heard it in, uh, in an interview that was presented as, say yes to everything you love to do, and then figure out how to do it. So the key words extra there are love to do. And that backed up what I've been talking about, which is say no to the things that basically you don't love or aren't going to move the needle or aren't going to help you get to where you're going. So you can say yes to the few things that will, which would be the love to do. But then Richard Branson's quote made more sense to me. And then I loved it all the more. So and and probably it became a I, I developed a soft spot for it because it was a quote that, you know, at first I thought I didn't like and went against everything I'd learned. And then all of a sudden it even amplified everything I've learned. So yeah, great, great, uh, great grab.
0: That's a beautiful segue into my next point was about talking a little bit about your brand new book that is just come out. The book of why and how discover the timeless secrets to meaningful success and abundance. Tell us a little bit about the book.
1: Happy to. This book has, you know, I talked about, you know, how did it all happen? And I talked about the grind and all the years it takes to do something. And this book, I guess, mirrors that as well, or echoes that too in the sense that the book was a long time in the making. If I go years, I would say at least it started four years ago uh, in terms of how much work has been put into it. Since I reference and go through stories about people I've interviewed and what I learned from them going dating back almost 10 years, And then on top of that, include 400 quotes by thought leaders in the book, including yourself. And that's 10% roughly of the interviews I've done. You know, if you think about that, that means that this book has been thousands and literally thousands of hours in the making overall. If You take every angle at it. The premise behind it, though, Greg, uh, the bonus quotes was a matter of me saying I want to be able to share quotes of people that, and here's the goal with them, that each one of these quotes has the potential to transform and change a life. Like I thought, imagine if you're going to have a book where not even the core book, just the bonus section, you know, has 400 potentials to transform a life. To me, that was, you know, I hadn't seen that in a book really in a big way. Then on top of that, I said, well, now let's layer it with the core book, which is basically three sections. And the first section is around how do you find your why or your calling or your purpose? And that's the most common question I get these days is how can I find my passion? you know, when they say that, I translate that into any of those other terms, like finding your calling, your purpose, your why. So how do I find my passion is a big question. So I said, well, let's dedicate the core main first section of the book to that. Uh, And then the second section is uh, around the idea of these timeless secrets. You know, so now that you know what your passion is, how do you practice these timeless secrets and, and carry out what you've learned about your passion? So in other words, let's just say, as an example, speaking was your passion. Then now how do I use these timeless secrets, like, let's say, continuous learning, you know, constantly self feeding your mind, or just what I mentioned about going all in and being focused. How do I now learn that? How do I apply that to my passion? So that's section two. And then the third section is now how do I do all this in a meaningful way? So how do I do this in an enlightened way if we want to go there and actually do it in a way that has meaning bigger than just I'm trying to make money or run a business? So that's the core book.
0: Where is it available currently?
1: I, I, I'd be remiss and I guess even say foolish to to not have the book on Amazon. So <laughs> I, I, well, obviously after launch. So what I did do originally, and I think you know you knew about this, Greg, and quite a few people knew about this, but mostly within my core network. But we released it first on Kickstarter with a crowdfunding campaign. And I see one other thought leader do that. And I said, I want to try this because not not many people are doing it. And it also tells you. Uh, The viability of the book, you know, if you do it as a crowdfunding, there's nothing more pure than that, asking people to support their book before it's even available in stores or online. And then the second round, which is now the newest way we've released it, the new launch is Amazon as a Kindle and a print version. Eventually, and I don't want to put a timeline on this and paint myself into a corner, but eventually it'll make its way into bookstores, libraries, that type of thing. Uh, but I wanted to take it at phases so I could be really laser focused. So right now, the newest way to get it is Amazon. Uh, but another easy shortcut is if you go to thebookofwhy.com, and that's all spelled out for so com right on that page is actually, it'll forward you to the Amazon page. So right on that page, you can actually grab a copy there.
0: Okay, we'll put that in the show notes. You know, you've been referred to as the common day or the modern day Napoleon Hill. And I'm thinking you're more like a passionate energizer bunny. (laughs) It's
1: like... Oh, no, I just said, uh, I said, I'll take that.
0: I have to ask this question. With all that you do, what do you do to stay balanced?
1: There's a two-part answer to this, because on one hand, it depends. Now, listener listening, because this is another thing I talk about often. I get this question a lot in terms of not that exact question, but the question of how can I, you know, I want to be balanced. And so I always get people to define if they're asking me directly one-on-one or sometimes even in a a, a, a session, whether a seminar or a talk, what do you mean by balance? Unfortunately, a lot of people mean, you know, I want to have, let's let's call it a scale, like 50-50. I want to be just as equally balanced in my personal life as my professional life. Sadly, I don't want to shatter any dreams, but the interviews I've done, the highest of achievers, who, by the way, are among some of the happiest people I've met, most fulfilled, and are also impacting a lot of lives. So when I say, highly successful, I'm not talking material wealth or money, these people, typically speaking, they get that there's no 50-50 balance. I haven't come across one yet. I have not literally come across one that has that 50-50 balance. Uh, So first of all, if you're shooting for equal scales of, I want my work life to end here, my my business life to end there. If you're also wanting to impact a lot of lives and, you know, sort of be at the top in terms of achievement and be an influencer to other people, it's going to be hard to do. Because again, I haven't seen it yet. But when we talk about balance, then I go to the other side, if you put the right definition on balance, so maybe for me, that means I want to have a smile on my face all day. I want to wake (laughs) up in the morning and go to bed at night doing what I love, spending time with people I love. If you call that balance, then to me, how do you get it? Well, first of all, you find your passion if you haven't yet. And we all have a passion. Uh, And I don't even when I say find, it's kind of a misnomer, because I think we uncover it. I think it's inside. So we have to peel ourselves like an onion to get to it. So I would say, finding your passion that you can carry over into personal and professional life to me that's as close to balance as you can get then when you're working quote unquote you're not really doing what we call traditionally work you're you're literally have a smile on your face you don't get tired because you're not doing the traditional work you know and work for most people work is the stuff that's hard to do stuff that they don't want to be doing but they do it anyway to pay the bills but if you can find something that you love doing and you would do for free, even though hopefully you're not. But if you can do that, and at the same time, carry that passion and enthusiasm carries over into your personal life, then to me, that's as close to balance as you're going to get. And that's what I found years ago. I found a sweet spot where my personal and professional lives constantly intertwine because they don't separate the two. I love what I do, let's say, we'll call it work. I love what I do to sort of advance my cause of impacting lives. And at the same time, I love being with my family. And the two of them, every now and then intersperse. and every now and then I keep them separate. But either way, I'm always doing stuff that puts a smile on my face. So that, to me, is where balance happens.
0: The moment those words came out of my mouth, I'm thinking, no, no, that wasn't the question I really wanted to ask. It sounded too cliche. I I was thinking more along the lines of, how does he keep it all together? And I think you've answered it. Passion.
1: Yes. What I've discovered is there's truly, truly, we hear this idea there's not enough hours in the day. I'm not egocentric enough to say I'm proving there is, but I'm certainly juggling a lot more than I know a lot of people are <laughs> that are maxed out. At the same time, I'm, I have the opportunity, a unique opportunity to interview people that are juggling 20 times more than most and are still have a smile on their face. They still have time to go practice yoga and even do it in a public setting where they have to drive to get there and all that kind of stuff, raise kids, the whole nine yards. I mean, I have, um, as you know, Greg, I have a, a six month old, he's actually seven months today. So that that is a whole new dimension to my life. It's not like I dropped off five things that I love doing because of it. So I, first of all, I believe there's enough hours in the day. And I believe if you find your passion, you'll find a way. However, I'll add in that I certainly have a, a system for both keeping track of everything, a system for shortcutting stuff so I can get more stuff done quicker. I have checks and balances that happen all the time. Like for instance, if I want to get insight, on some area or topic, because I've been doing this long enough, I know, for example, I can go and, let's say, go and Google uh, a TED Talk, or maybe we can even call it TED a TED Talk because they have their own website, but I can go and find a TED Talk on that subject and learn what I'm trying to learn in 18 minutes rather than sifting through information traditionally on on the line, as uh, Vince Vaughn said, him and Owen Wilson, about Google, and he said, let's let's put it on the line. So if I say on the line or the interweb, you know, if you go in there, you can get lost you know, I'm haze, busyness. But, you know, I'd rather go into listen to a show like yours, Greg, or a TED Talk, where I can get the same insight in a short sound bite. You know, I, I know now from doing this long enough, the shortcuts. Then at the same time, I have a system I use, which is called the Weekly Rhythm Register, which basically, I actually track how many goals am I crushing? How much am I getting done each day? What did I do today? I can go back and, and tell you for quite a while. So that system sort of helps me get more done than I used to be able to get done. And then, Going back and tagging it all with that, what you said, is if you found your passion, I find you have more enthusiasm, more energy, and you can actually get more done. So it's a a combination of all those things.
0: Lots to absorb. It sounds like we're going to have to have you on the program again.
1: (laughs) I would absolutely love that. You you ask uh, insightful questions, and that makes all the difference in the world. It makes it much easier for me uh, if somebody's asking the right questions. Yeah, thank you. I'd be happy to do it.
0: That's awesome. We spoke about a lot of things. We talked about you. We talked about enlightened super achievers. We talked about the timeless secrets of influential leaders. We also talked about your brand new book, The Book of Why and How. Perhaps you can just leave us with maybe one thought. If someone wanted to accomplish all of these things, they wanted to be a super achiever, they wanted to be a great leader, maybe one thing that you could leave them with.
1: Well, I'll go back to what I just said. They have to have a system, some sort of system, if they want to get more done than most. That's a big part. And there's lots of options out there. I mean, you could literally just use something as simple as a task list and time blocking. So, you know, time blocking meaning saying, okay, well, for this hour, I'm going to do this, no interruptions. That'll allow you to be really focused and get a lot done. So get away from multitasking is essentially what I'm saying there. And then have some sort of system, which could be just simply a Google Calendar or anything like that. First of all, I think you need to have a way to keep track of stuff and allow you to get more done and not get distracted. And then the flip side, I would say, just as a, almost a quote. And, and, you know, and this is one of those things where I said earlier, I don't know if this is my quote, or if I heard from somebody else, or I paraphrase it, I'm not sure. But I believe this to be true. If you're not living your purpose, you're living somebody else's. I would say, figure out what your purpose is, get really clear on that. Maybe it means writing a personal mission statement, which I advocate for all the time. And then at the same time, have a system in place. And I think the two of those together will allow you to accomplish more than almost any other two things I've ever discovered, or anything on their own
0: will sage advice and we'll end on one last note if you can just let people know how and where they can reach you
1: my website is that speaker guy so that's all spelled out that guy dot com so basically that i would call it as the hub is the best way to connect with me because you can get it all in one place
0: Corey poirier thank you so much all the best with the new book thank you for being very enlightening with us this morning
1: thank you greg like i say it's been an absolute pleasure
0: Once again, this is Greg Gazin. We appreciate you tuning in. Now, I'm not sure how you joined us, whether you joined us through directly through Toastcaster.com or iTunes, but either way, you can pick up the podcasts there. If you really enjoyed the podcast, we'd really appreciate if you took a moment to leave us some feedback on iTunes because it really helps with our ratings plus also feel free to drop us a line tell us what types of things you're interested in what your toastmaster specialty is or what kinds of things you like to speak about and perhaps maybe we'll even have you on the show this is greg Gazin. till the next time this episode was sponsored by Corey outsmarts the butterflies a new book by greg Gazin. geared to ages 8 to 80 whether you want to improve your speaking skills or build your confidence This short read is suitable for all ages. It's available at outsmartingthebutterflies.com.